Pass it on. A message from the Foundation for a Better Life. <laughs> I really like those commercials. Not really, I don't know. I think they're just kind of fun. Uh, I know they're kind of lame sometimes or whatever, but they're just kind of nice. It's kind of nice to watch people be kind to one another. You can ask Taylor, I'm not really a crier, but a really good story or a commercial like that, sometimes, I don't know, gets the emotions flowing in me. <laughs> anyway, I actually wanted to find a different video. Uh, the one I wanted to find was of a guy who kind of like holds a door for somebody and then someone sees that guy holding a door and they go on and do something nice and then that person is seen doing something nice and they go on and do something nice and it, it just kind of is this cool kind of pass it on effect. It's kind of a cool concept, right? That what we do can be passed on to others. That what we receive from others can be passed on through us to others. It's in everyday life, it's amazing how people how people treat us, it's amazing how that affects us, right? Like, I know sometimes Taylor and I will wake up just on the wrong side of the bed and be grumpy at each other and say some harsh word and I just don't feel myself for the rest of the day, you know? Or the opposite's also true, like, you wake up and you're cracking jokes with each other and having fun and then... You feel like you almost have more patience to deal with people that day. <laughs> I, know, I, I know it's true for me. I'm sure we all have stories of the way that other people's actions affect us. It's kind of like a very human thing, right? We're all in relationship with each other. We're all in community with each other. It's, hard to, it's basically really hard to get more human than that. Our actions affect each other. But I think it's interesting. Sometimes, no matter how intently we are being kind to somebody or harsh to somebody, their actions don't change. Like, we can be super, super kind to somebody and they just, in return, treat us like garbage or go on and treat other people like garbage. I think this evokes a sense of injustice in us. Like, that's not right. It's not right that I would treat this person so well and then they would go on and treat others with such bad behavior. I'm sure we all have examples of that too, right? Family members, friends, co-workers, fellow students, maybe ourselves. People in our lives who, no matter how good we are to them, they always just treat us with harshness and disrespect and whatever. They're always mean. I find that on some occasions, these relationships get so toxic that we just remove these people from our lives. I'm see, I've seen it happen. I'm sure it'll happen again. It's a real struggle, I think, sometimes to figure out how is it possible that this person can receive such kindness and give such cruelty? Zooming out from interpersonal stuff, I think that this is one of the core reasons that we, as Christians, are accused of hypocrisy. Because the very things that we receive from God, kindness and forgiveness and love, we don't really sometimes extend to other people. I'm sure I'm not alone in knowing people who have no real issue with Christianity other than Christians. <laughs> they like Jesus. They would follow Jesus till the end of the day. It's just that Christians don't look anything like him. It's interesting 
that those standing on the outside of Christianity can look at what Jesus teaches and look at what Christians actually do and see such a disconnect. I think that in some ways the things that these people see are are totally valid. Like, it doesn't take an outside observer long to note that sometimes the very things that Jesus gives to us, we are unwilling to give to others. That brings us to our reading for today. Um, We're going to be hanging out in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. You can flip there in your Bible if you would like, or it will also be up here on the screen. Here's what it says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had, and then the payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him just 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and say, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I'll pay you. He he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have for mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. Then Jesus concludes with this warning. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, for some reason, I really like this parable. It's one of my favorites. I thought for a while that it's because it had something to do with justice, and I just really like justice. It's something that's important to me. But then I realized that it was actually because I'm so desperate for this to not be us. (laughs) I'm so desperate for us to actually look like our king. For us to not be the people who receive an amazing gift and refuse to give it to others. Just like the parable last week, this parable is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And just like we defined it last week, this is the backwards, upside down kingdom of heaven that's here but not fully here, the culture of Jesus. It's characterized by those who are stereotypically at the top, finding themselves at the bottom, while those who are the least of these, stereotypically at the bottom, finding themselves at the top. It's the culture that Jesus is trying to establish among him and his followers. Last week we talked about how The kingdom was not what the Jews were expecting. The kingdom that Jesus was bringing was not what the Jews were expecting. This week, we're talking about how the kingdom, in the kingdom, Jesus wants his people to act a certain way. An initial surface-level reading of this parable would tell you that it's about forgiveness. And of course, you would be right. It is about forgiveness. But it's important for us to note that it's it's not a definition of forgiveness. 
It's not an instruction manual on necessarily how to forgive. He's emphasizing the fact that it's important to do it. This parable is set up in three parts, and that's not something that I'd normally talk about on a Sunday morning because we just don't really need to talk about the grammar of the text, but today it's pertinent. The reason it's pertinent is because each one of these three parts of the story have an important point, and when we take those points together, we get the whole story. So, part one, verses 23 through 27. This is where we meet the master and the wicked servant, and the master forgives that first servant's debt. It's important for us to note that 10,000 talents was an extremely huge amount of money. A talent was the largest, it was a metal piece, a piece of metal that was money, used to pay for stuff, and it was the largest denomination that they had in the ancient world. So, like, we don't, we don't have, like, $1,000 bills, we just have $100 bills, that's the largest denomination. That would be the equivalent in the ancient world of a talent. And, ta- and 10,000 talents was an insane amount. If you were to take that amount of valuable metal and weigh it, it would have weighed 204 metric tons. That's 450,000 pounds. If you're, go- if you're to go through all the math and figure out how long it would take a typical day laborer to work off this debt, 163,000 years. That's an impossible debt. Of course, Jesus is using this debt to illustrate the debt that, he, that we owe to him. No one lives 163,000 years. There's, there's no way we could possibly pay that debt. In the same way, there's no way we could possibly pay our debt to Jesus. You know, one of my favorite groups of people, my favorite groups of Christians, are those who came to Christ a little bit later in life. And it's not like it's bad to come to Christ early in life. I came to Christ early in life. Uh, I know a lot of people who love Jesus who came to Christ early in life. But here's the reason. It's because I find that these people have an excitement. They have an understanding of just how amazing Jesus is. And, what, and, the, and they have a real, realistic picture of the debt that Jesus has paid for them. Something that me as a kindergartner coming to Christ didn't quite understand. <laughs> I remember meeting this one person my first year of college who she was so excited about who Jesus was. Her passion was contagious. She could tell you exactly what Jesus had done for her. She had only been a Christian for just one year. Exactly what Jesus had done for her. I think that it might be wise for us every once in a while to take stock, to ask ourselves the question, do I realize what Jesus has done for me? the debt he has paid for me, the impossible debt he has paid for me. Part two is verses 28 through 30, and in this part of the text, we learn that this servant who has just been forgiven this enormous debt goes on to one of his fellow servants who has a relatively small debt and strangles him, finds out he can't pay, and throws him into prison. It's worth noting that this second debt was 100 days labor. Of course, that's significant. A hundred days labor, that's like a third of a year, three months, a week or so. But relative to the first debt, that's nothing. A fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent, it's nothing. Of course, here we're supposed to take note of the insane hypocrisy. (laughs) This man who's just received an amazing forgiveness is absolutely unwilling 
to even forgive a small amount. It's exactly what we're talking about at the start of the sermon, that those who receive are unwilling to give. To me, that's the major focus of this parable. That's the central idea, that what we have been given is what we ought to give. That, what, that we forgive because we've been forgiven. That we have to pass it on. It's absolutely hypocritical to do anything else. We have to do this. Sadly, we are all too familiar with hypocrisy. We experience this sort of thing all the time, right? I mean, how many of us have been the man with the smaller debt? And we're in conflict with somebody and we ask for forgiveness and they will not forgive us. They hold it over our heads. They make us feel guilty. Jesus has forgiven their debt instantly and removed it as far as the east is from the west, but they won't even lift a finger to let us free. Or how many of us have been the man with the larger debt? We hold it over them. We manipulate people. We want some form of retribution. We deserve payback. We use the, that person's sin as ammunition. We seek to destroy them with it. How damaging. Both sides. Lives ruined. In 2017, my dad and I went on a trip to Papua New Guinea. While we were there, there was a fight between two young men, and one young man murdered the other one. Not 12 hours later, there was an entire, the enti uh, all of the tribal warriors from the kid who was murdered was in that village threatening to go to war. Over the course of the next week, my dad and I watched as tribal politics almost began a tribal war. Potentially hundreds of lives lost. While we were watching all of this happen, my friend Simon, our friend Simon, explain to us that these tribal conflicts can go on for days, weeks, months, decades. Hundreds of people can die. People who don't even live in the villages anymore can die. Murdered in cold blood because people refuse to forgive. We look at this story and we're like, that's insane. We would never do that, but then we do. Of course, we don't murder people, but, I mean, how many of us don't forgive? How much destruction that does that bring? It's so, hypocr it's so hypocritical of us. Part three, of course, is the remaining verses, where the wicked servant is discovered, and the master throws him into prison, and then we get this final warning from Jesus. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now here's where this parable becomes somewhat difficult to understand. Because we're forced to ask the question based upon, based upon Jesus' warning, what does he mean? Like, if I don't forgive somebody, does that mean he'll rebuke the forgiveness that, or take back the forgiveness that he's given me? Does this mean that I could be thrown into the pit of hell for failing to forgive someone? Does that make it an unforgivable sin? These are all valid questions. 
Various interpreters have suggested a lot. I actually struggled like for three days trying to figure, <laughs> figure this out. Um, I read a lot of books, and what I discovered is that there's just not a lot of agreement, actually, among scholars. Some people say, hey, let's just take Jesus at his word at face value. Some people say, ah, oh, he's probably being like hyperbolic. He was tr probably saying something more extreme than what's true. And some people were like, hey, let's just throw out the rest of the New Testament in favor of this. Of course, we would never do that last one. But essentially, I think here's what's happening. Jesus is really serious about forgiveness. He's not joking around. He doesn't view forgiveness as an option. I think at the very least, this is a warning. And at the very most, we should probably take Jesus at his word. I'm not, I, I don't think that this parable gets into the theology of salvation and all that stuff, so we're not really going to get into that today. But I don't think it would be entirely intelligent of us to walk around assuming that Jesus was lying. I think he's serious about what he's saying. I think that's what he's trying to accomplish here, ultimately. That this is no joke. That if you fail to forgive, that's a major, major issue. With all that said, yeah, with all that said, I, I really still struggle with this if I'm being honest. When we put this teaching into the wider context of what Jesus has done, it's impossible to say that he was being absolutely literal because there's so much more in the New Testament. But honestly, we, like, we should not allow that truth to remove the impact of those words on us. He's not joking around. Unforgiveness is not an option for those who live in the kingdom, for us, for all of us. All of that to say, in this last section, Jesus is teaching that forgiveness is crucial. It makes total sense. Because forgiveness is a high value for our king. Could you imagine what it would look like for Christians to not look like the king? Of course, for most of us, we don't need to imagine what that would be like. This parable illustrates Jesus' teaching that in his kingdom we have been graciously forgiven an impossible debt. And that we must extend that same forgiveness to others. It's not a question, it's an expectation with consequences for those who don't. That's why I called this sermon, Pass It On. Because that which we receive, we need also to give. So, and this is rhetorical, do you forgive? I want to note here that I didn't ask, should you forgive? I ask, do you actually forgive? If we're to take this parable seriously, it's essential for us to understand that it's absolutely not an option for us as followers of Jesus to hold unforgiveness in our hearts. I get it. Man, I got bullied as a kid. I know the pain that people can cause. I know the serious, devastating pain that people can cause. People are evil to each other. 
more than just bullies. I mean, my guess is that everyone sitting in this room has experienced horrors of human behavior. Horrible things that people do to each other. Have you forgiven? Maybe you're wondering, how could God possibly expect me to forgive? I understand. Like, it's absolutely, it seems like it's absolutely impossible to forgive some of these things. How do you forgive that abusive parent or, or that parent who was never around? How do you forgive that spouse who cheated on you? Or that boyfriend or girlfriend who spread vicious rumors about you? How do you forgive that harsh, mean person, that bully? How do you forgive that drunk driver who killed your loved one? How do you forgive that person who hurt your child? How do you forgive your children for abandoning you? How do you forgive? These seem like impossible things. How is it possible? Jesus is saying those debts are significant. A hundred days is no chump change. That's a lot of labor. But your debt was more significant. He's saying, I forgave you. I can give you what you need to forgive others. You need to forgive, just like I forgave you. Your debt to him, our debt to him was so much more significant. Tens of thousands of times more significant. It's not that Jesus is okay with what happened to you. Because he's not. It's not that Jesus is saying, your pain and your suffering are insignificant. Because it's not. It's not even that Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to pretend like this didn't happen. I don't think that that's necessarily what he's saying. I think he's saying, I want you to forgive as I have forgiven you. In his kingdom, that's what people do. They forgive. That's his culture. Do we forgive? I don't want to pretend like forgiveness is easy because it's not. But I've found that our culture treats it like, like love. We've relegated it to the realm of emotion. When it's not an emotion. Just like true love... Forgiveness is a choice. I think it's totally reasonable to still have raw, difficult, painful emotions and choose to forgive in the midst of that. I don't even think that forgiveness necessarily takes away those emotions right away. Sometimes it takes time. Using the terminology of the parable, forgiveness is simply this. You're no longer holding that person's debt against them. You no longer count that person's sin against them. Do we forgive? It would be impossible to read this parable and not get a sense of urgency. We have to do this as soon as possible. I find that when I go to God and I ask him for forgiveness, he's not really in the business of saying, okay, hey, as long as you don't sin again for 48 hours, I'll forgive you. Or, Hey, you know, you put in a work order, I'll get around to it eventually. No, immediately, as far as the east is from the west, your sin is separated from you. 
perhaps it would be good for us to do the same. It's something that we need to learn to do. I haven't met many who do. Not many who forgive from their heart. Not many who forgive with urgency. One, I know, is my friend Charlie. As you could assume, when we go on trips, when you're the only two who speak English, sometimes you get tired of each other and uh, fights happen, even on mission trips. Yeah, I know, we're sinners. All right. And uh, sometimes we have to go to each other and we have to seek forgiveness. And here's what I discovered. I can go to Charlie anytime, anywhere, and say, will you forgive me? And he says, yes, instantly. And within the same minute, we're back to normal. He knows how to forgive. Doesn't hold it over me, doesn't manipulate me with it. It's done. I know that people, most people who have unforgiveness are not dealing with like petty stuff. Like it's not just small change, like, oh, we had a minor disagreement. It's really serious. But I don't think that discounts the need for urgency. I'm sure we all know stories of people who have been destroyed by unforgiveness that they harbor inside themselves. It works its way into every crack and crevice of their life and pulls them apart from important relationships and important uh, crucial moments in their life. It's not some minor thing. Do we forgive? In the verses just before this in Matthew chapter 18, John, Peter goes to Jesus and says, Hey Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Maybe seven times. And Jesus, of course, famously responds, not seven times, but 77 times. And of course, in other parts of the gospel, he responds with 70 times, seven times. Here's the interesting thing. Peter thought he was being generous. It was normal for ancient, in the ancient Jewish culture to only forgive three times. Some verses in Amos and other Old Testament minor prophets. So Peter showing up before Jesus is thinking, oh man, I've been generous. I've doubled it and added one, seven. That's many, that's seven. <laughs> I've doubled it and added one. I, I'm being extremely generous. And Jesus says, no, more, 77 times. And then he launches into this parable. The forgiveness that we received is unlimited. The forgiveness that we give probably should be unlimited. That's this parable. What we receive is what we give. Our insane debt has been forgiven. Perhaps we can learn to forgive the relatively small debts of those who have hurt us. I imagine that the global church would be a far healthier place if we actually did this if we acted towards forgiveness with the same passion and urgency that Jesus does. I imagine that the rest of the world outside of the Christian community would take note of our forgiveness. They would look at us differently. Perhaps that hypocrite word wouldn't get thrown around so much. Do we forgive? Do we forgive with the same urgency, with the same importance? Do we forgive recognizing what Jesus has done for us? Understanding that Jesus teaches that there's consequences for not forgiving. Let's let this no longer be something that we wait to do. So, 
I want to invite you to try something with me today. On the back of your worship guide, there are like three or four sentences that I asked Stephanie to put there. And uh, they have two blanks. It starts with, Lord Jesus, I forgive blank for blank. Here's the exercise. I want to encourage us to begin to seek the Lord and ask him, is there any unforgiveness in my life? And then I want us to write it down. I want us to take the next few minutes and do that. And if you are someone who you're good with God, you, maybe you do this on a regular basis, I want to encourage you to pray for everybody else. Because these are not small potatoes. Unforgiveness is painful. These things are not unforgiven for no good reason. They're unforgiven because they hurt. So I want to take the next few minutes and just encourage you to, to begin to fill in those blanks and then we'll come back. Lord, uh, you're the God of impossible things. You're the God who takes what is not and makes it as though it is. You're the God who breathes death or life into dead things. You're the God who takes absolutely impossible, hopeless situations and turns them to good. Father, I pray that you would do that in our lives. That in forgiving, not only would you give us what we need in order to forgive these people, but that you'd bring healing and restoration like we haven't experienced. Even that we could be reunited in relationship with these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's part two of the assignment. At some point, don't let it get to next Sunday, but at some point this week, I would like for you to find a quiet space, a quiet time, a quiet place, and begin to say these sentences out loud. Lord Jesus, I forgive for... Because I believe it's something that we really need to say out loud so that we can start to believe it. <laughs> That's my encouragement to you. That we make forgiveness an everyday pursuit. That we forgive just as Jesus forgave us. We're going to go to our offering now. Thanks. That Jesus' kingdom is a lot like his reputation. That means that we are his reputation. We represent him. So I hope and pray that more and more frequently people will look at us and see Jesus. That they will look at us and they'll see that Jesus' reputation is good. That he's a good God who forgives a lot. Um, sorry I said awkward. Uh, that's a frenzy thing. We do Whenever it's an awkward transition, we <laughs> say awkward transition, but I didn't remember where I was, so I apologize. <laughs> anyway, I hope you guys have a wonderful week, and uh, God bless. See you later.